Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Other Banana podcast. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, each one thoughtfully handpicked from new directors to award winners. Beautiful, interesting, incredible movies that is always something new to discover. The best of cinema is at your fingertips, streaming anytime, anywhere. I recommend you watch Emma Seligman's Shiva Baby, a movie release. It stars Rachel Sinnett and Molly Gordon and is entirely set during a Shiva, with Seligman's filmmaking inducing claustrophobia and anxiety in the audience that the protagonist is going through in her own life. Sign up for an annual membership of Mubi for a hugely discounted price of rupees 1,999 at mubi.com slash the other banana. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash the other banana for a whole year of great cinema at an exclusive price. The film we will be discussing today is Maniratnam's Iruvar, released in 1997, starring Mohanlal, Prakash Raj, Tabu, Revati, Gautami, and Aishwarya Rai. Uh, it's a pretty important film, uh, both in Tamil cinema history as well as uh, in terms of cataloging Tamil political history. And so we're quite excited to talk about the film. Uh, the film is available on Mubi. Uh, please go ahead and uh, stream it over there. Uh, we recommend that you watch the film before listening to our discussion, as always, because uh, it'll make the conversation that much more interesting. To discuss the film today, we have uh, a pod regular Adi uh, on the call. Hi, Adi. Hi. And we have a very special guest, uh, Suchitra Vijayan, joining us. Uh, Suchitra is a barrister. She was born and raised in Midras. Her work has appeared in Washington Post, GQ, Boston Review, and she's appeared on NBC News as well. She recently has had a book published, Midnight Spotters, which uh, is very well-reviewed and uh, we recommend everybody pick it up when you have a chance. Uh, Suchitra, thanks so much for making time to join us and to chat with us about Irva. Thank you. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Excellent. All right. So let's get started. Uh, Irva charts the story of two friends, Anandan and Tamir Selvan, from pre-independence to roughly around the 80s or 90s timeframe. It talks about how they both rise to popularity in Tamil Nadu, the political and personal tussles that become entwined in their friendship. And it serves as sort of a parallel for two key figures in Tamil Nadu history and politics, Kalenjar Karunanidhi and MGR. Anandan is the stand-in for MGR and uh, Tamil Selvam is the stand-in for Kalenjar Karunanidhi. It's a really important film because it probably speaks to the current political climate pretty closely. That piece of Tamil history is very, very intertwined in sort of the consciousness of the Tamil psyche. And it's very much, you know, being mined even today in films like Sarpata Parambrai uh, in popular culture. So that's the reason why we picked this film to talk about. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about what cinema looked like in the opening period of the film. Because while it talks about the history of Tamil politics, it also talks about the history of Tamil cinema. Because the history of Tamil politics and Tamil cinema are very, very intertwined. Earlier, when we did a podcast on uh, Andanal, we had uh, Dr. Swarnavel Ishwaran on, and he talked a lot about the studio system that existed in Chennai at that time, uh, the impact that World War II had on the studio system. Some of you may be aware, you know, during the Second World War, the studios, you know, went into depression because uh, film stock was imported, you know, mainly from Germany and European countries at that point of time. And uh, because of the war, you know, there was a restriction you know, on the usage of stock. And also the other side of it was uh, a British government, which was ruling us, had this rule that every studio will have to contribute towards what they called as the war of foot. It was called a war of foot film. So out of every three film, one has to be a war of foot film. And not only that, prior to the war, they were already making, you know, long films. And now it was to be cut down because of the rationing of the stock to just uh, 11 reels, uh, 11,000 feet. So all these had come into picture and, you know, also, you know, that uh, war was going on, audiences were shrinking. So including Mayor Pichetiar, the owner of, you know, AVM, he shifted base from Chennai to Karekudi. Then again, after war, say around 45, 10, they all came. And then there was this independence. It was also a time when um, studios were, you know, expanding their base in terms of trying to become major production houses where uh, they will even supply the raw stock and they will also have the lab where you can come out with the print of your film. There were more than 100 studios in Madras, but very few of them had all these kind of facilities. 
So all these, you know, was going on, you know, this expansion through the 50s, how the studios got entrenched, uh, particularly modern theaters in Salem, uh, ABM, Gemini, Vijaya Vahini, and Prasad. And uh, that's why we call the 50s and the 60s, you know, as the golden period of this, you know, studio era. And you can see parts of that in Iruvar coming through with a movie that Anandan is a part of getting stopped and him going to Maryland Studios, which is one of the premier studios in Kerala for shooting, etc. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, anything that you'd like to add about the sort of opening periods of black and white cinema that are depicted in Iruvar. Uh, uh, Susitra, let's start with you. Um, I think Tamil cinema, for me, I mean, to think about it visually, one of the things that really strikes me is how innovative and forward-looking the cinema was, especially when you think about the shots that they were trying to create, the lens. And for me, as a photographer, when I look at the film and I was looking at a lot of these earlier films, what you really see is a certain sense of vitality, a sense of trying to take over a narrative. I think this was also beginning to change with the kind of local presses that were being produced. Although this time also coincides with an explosion of local vernacular presses in India. And I think there has to be a history of how, you know, the narrative control, that arc, the narrative control, um, was kind of driven by a sense of innovation that was happening. Even with everybody who was there, you also see the cosmopolitan nature of these cities come by, especially the cosmopolitan nature of the Tamil cinema. Uh, people who come from different milieus, people's capacity to talk, people's capacity to think about their future. Of course, ideology is a very important part of it. But I think what we really see here is a certain kind of richness um, um, that tries to make sense of the world. But also you have to understand that this was a society that was deeply conservative and orthodox. That was also a society that was seeing so much revolution happen at the level of the grassroots. And given all of that, I think there is a lot to talk. And I think we'll talk more about the aesthetics as well, because I think aesthetics is one of the uh, other aspects of Iruvar that often gets talked about. So while I'm not a big fan of the Iruvar aesthetics, I think the use of how these various lenses also becomes part of the form and structure of the film, I think is something we definitely should think more about. Perfect. Adi? Yeah, I, I think as much as we talk about uh, the period being mined uh, for uh, films, I, I think uh, some cinema has actually not done enough of uh, documenting that period, uh, you know, you know, in, in more uh, contemporary films, which is really a shame because it's uh, there's too many things happening there. For example, uh, I think um, the, uh, there's of course only one shot of Maryland Studios um, from Kerala, but uh, the first uh, hit for MGR was really uh, Mandri Kumari, which is modern theater, which is one of the the, the premier theaters that started making films and and I think even you know the very um, uh, the, the, the modern looking uh, director of the film is, is more of a T.R. Sundaram figure uh, because he, he was one of those anglicized uh, England educated fellow who came here and started a whole studio um, and I think um, uh, so, so that way, uh, what, what, but, uh, but one of the things about Irvar is it, it doesn't, uh, it, it kind of, um, is uh, very hazy with, uh, I mean, almost by design, uh, with the temporal aspects. Like we don't get dates, we don't get years. Um, so, 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 so we don't, it's not very easy to pinpoint, okay, this is that film or this is that film. All we can uh, say is, uh, okay, uh, this is this is an NGR film. Uh, this is probably the one written by Kannadi. Uh, in the later years, this is probably the one that Aram Virapan contributed to it because he was more of into um, uh, in, uh, uh, NGR slash Anand's faction. Uh, so I think um, uh, it's we need to pick and uh, you know uh, pinpoint that. It, 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 it are, uh, the film almost gives a response to us to, uh, to choose which, which, which is which. And uh, I think that's one of the, the more interesting aspects of the film that uh, it doesn't go, uh, this happened and then this happened kind of way. It doesn't give you all the information, but it gives more of a overview of uh, how uh, films were made and what happened at that time and how these people came together. Um, you know, if you read Asokamitran's essays and books about the studio culture, even by the time Asokamitran comes in and writes, even in that very short period between the 30s to the time that Asokamitran starts writing, you see the studio culture change. Like there's 
one thing that's constantly happening is an upheaval. And I think you're right. I think there has been, um, there could be more vernacular literature that we're not aware of because also there's a time um, that a lot of rich resources, because another thing about Tamil cinema is that um, while a lot of the directors, studio owners came from landowning castes, um, very anglicized, the real history, rich history of Tamil cinema is a very working class history of Tamil cinema. And I'll tell this to you, I'll tell you a story is that, um, I don't know, my mother's father apparently when he was a very, um, just about was making a little bit of money, had left the village come, apparently he was very enamored with the DMK, was actually a DMK cadre. And one of the things he actually apparently did was produce Tamil cinemas, like produce movies, was a producer of these movies. And my Perima, my my uh, mom's elder sister, which is alive, would say. And again, I didn't know about this till I was in my late 20s, that my grandfather actually put money together. How even these very local businessmen who really were, didn't come from that kind of wealth, but were just beginning to have a little bit of money, had apparently produced these movies or at least cobbled together money to produce these movies and apparently produced two movies. I knew nothing about this. Uh, there were no apparently, um, uh, even by the time the 60s or 70s, by the time my grandfather had stopped being an active member of the DMK party, all of the movie reels, posters were all just taken and burnt because my grandmother apparently felt what is this nonsense. You know, we have four young women to be married off in the family. We can't have this. So in that sense, I think there is a lot of rich working class, rich Tamil history that is kind of lost. And I didn't know about this. I didn't know that my grandfather had done this. Uh, and similarly, there were these ways in which apparently a lot of these cadres would come together. And the idea was, of, actually, we can talk about crowdsourcing today, but they were all crowdsourcing to, um, they all had these little actors who, who would apparently practice in the middle of the night um, for these stage shows and as the studio uh, culture was coming in. And I think that kind of history is also lost to us. And hopefully there will be a way for us to reclaim that, but I do not know how much of that can also be reclaimed now. Yeah, I mean, we can count on uh, probably one hand the the number of films that actually trace that sort of li- the 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 stage play to film lineage, right? Like there's probably Kavya Talevan. Then you have, what we are starting to see now more is the, the cinema politics nexus Right, like you, you, that's what is there in Sarpata, and that's what is there in Barachanai because that period is, you know, showcased so well there. Uh, but I think there is the need to sort of tell the true, that full arc of the arts uh, and visual arts and performing arts from from stage to film to how that then just became popular culture and politics. Yeah, you know, the, the other uh, aspect about uh, early Tamil cinema is, uh, you know, how um, like anywhere uh, in the in the world, cinema uh, uh, is initially used as uh, you know as a propaganda tool, and I mean it probably still is. The period uh, dictated uh, what kind of films were made. Like from the mid thirties to the mid forties, uh, the the nationalist or the more patriotic films were, were made by the studios. Uh, and uh, at, after the in, independence, they started getting the Dravidian films. I think tracing that history is also important in terms of how films are used as a tool. And um, of, of course, in, in Irivar, uh, you have, you get very straightforward dialogues like Pulavara, Namma Kachi Varadu Pechale, Aparon Kadai Katura Elekio, Yendekinarako, Nanaki Cinema or Karivia Marlamla, Anathan, Namma Kachi Munit, you put a fine Vertumo, a pretty fine Vertum. But I think. Even the, the timelines almost dictated the films that were made by the studios, like the early films uh, of uh, modern studios and Germany studios from 30s to 40s was basically uh, all the nationalist and independence-oriented uh, uh, films. But but and after late 40s and the early 50s, uh, we started getting the the working class films, as Vishra pointed out, and the the Indian ideology-based films. Yeah. Once the mythological films start, like roughly Parasaki. Uh, Parasaki is nineteen fifty fifty one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah but so, by then, I think the mythological films were almost done. Yeah. yeah Except okay. for maybe you know Manohara and something like that. Yeah. So the ideology uh, espoused is probably hidden in dialogues and songs and so on and so forth. And then by nineteen sixty, the lyrics are explicit uh, that it's about a specific party or a specific ideology. 
it's actually not that large of a time frame in 10 15 years uh, it's gone from uh, being just a storytelling medium to a full on uh, propaganda tool uh, it's a very very interesting period of time it's quite interesting that the tussle became a, a bit of a meta discussion on what is wrong with cinema now as well uh, should the person behind the screen have the control or should the person on screen have the control and it's quite interesting that it that sort of tussle played out as well uh, don't you guys think i think definitely the politics and the media nexus is definitely there like also i think the kind of reaches it's a pinnacle at one point then kind of just stops and i think by the time someone like me growing up in the 90s Tamil Nadu I don't think that kind of an access was so visibly available of course there were these punch dialogues and of course um the given that we had, had chief ministers who had graced the silver screen first I think as a young person growing up the first chief minister that I really remember is not Karunanidhi but Jayalalitha coming to power right you're not an age where you're no longer a kid but you're no longer an adult but the first chief minister I remember is Jayalalitha as someone who was born in the 80s i also didn't grow up watching jellalitha's films yet there was the sense of cultural consciousness that's kind of passed on to you and i think that a lot of what i now understand or a sense of history that i have really comes from reading people like um mss pandian or others who actually have written about the relationship between cinema and politics and how that played out of course early on uh, and i think this is something that also that iruvar kind of uh, doesn't do quite well is how you see the way in which the population the very diverse but uh, but a very interesting population in what is now tamil nadu is reacting to the dravidian ideology um you know for me today it seems mind boggling that a party that was built on rationalism progressive ideas equality and you were trying to get these ideas at the level of the man on the ground and they were responding to this in a very positive way so i think of course the film becomes an important medium of propaganda and message and also shaping the culture but i think that also wanes away by the time you reach the 70s and i would even say the early 80s yeah in fact i would say the architects of the the tool that they used to sort of drive the propaganda to the the last mile if you will that tool sort of turns on them in some senses right so the, the mass appeal uh, becomes sort of a double edged sword sutra so speaking to your point about what i personally remember because i was born in the very early 80s i quite vividly remember all of the furore that happened in tamil nadu post mgr's passing we were outside our house traveling somewhere and we all had to return home like immediately as soon as you heard of Vijay's passing because it pretty much became impossible to be outside your house and be safe in in the city of Chennai after Vijay's passing last one i also do remember the election that followed immediately after and all of the confusion that happened surrounding the 28 day vn janaki government as well because i remember the campaigning like i was probably what 5 years old and mm-hmm. i was taking the school bus to school and it was a huge discussion topic among five year olds as to who would win the election wow those are things that i remember quite vividly uh, yeah yeah i was three uh, so i don't remember this moment but i do remember a few years later this this person who would come to our house to what are they called the person who does the ironing so she came running to my mom one day and said you know um there's apparently rumors that mgr has come back to life you know they're keeping him alive in his grave and he's coming back he's coming back and my mom was like what are you talking about and this woman is absolutely convinced uh, and then she says you know when when mgr died i remember you know everybody who went to say do the last respects we could hear some noise on the background probably it was the noise of the generator or something like that but she says but i know now it's proved for a 5 or 6 year old i think that was my first political memory of saying okay who is this guy and why is he coming back alive because at 3 i don't think you really remember and i think 5 is when maybe the memory started and i a few years after mgr's passing i remember this entire rumor spreading assuming this was also the time when there was a very real crisis in tamil nadu right the late 80s was not this was just before liberalization things were quite tense and there was a time when i think people were really looking for something but beyond that i don't remember anything else that happened um, and that's another thing that i was thinking about when we started preparing for this conversation was how bad does my political memory of living in madras go back to and the reality is between that moment of the rumor around mgr 
and and Jayalalitha coming to power, I really don't remember anything. So it's also kind of this moment where there was no Sun TV for sure. So the political consciousness really, I think, begins in a much different way with the coming in of channels like Sun TV and then everything else that follows. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's, I believe that the people who lived through that period could not have even expected what was to come in the late 90s with the opening up of uh, the airwaves and private channels just basically becoming fiefdoms of the political parties in Tamil Nadu and so on. All right. So uh, given that we've sort of set the context for where we are coming from uh, in terms of personal political experiences and roughly what we remember about uh, the history of Tamil cinema up to that point, let's get to talking about the film itself. How good of a job does the film do in terms of representing the Dravidian politics, right? Like, for example, it shows that a rail roko was performed for reservation purposes, which is not true, right? And they exclude, for example, a really big, important figure like Periyar from the discourse altogether. What are your guys' thoughts on how the film represents this huge political upheaval that was happening in uh, Tamil Nadu at that time? So I don't think it is completely sidelined or it is completely uh, omitted in the sense that, you know, the, what, what people expect the movie to have done. Uh, it obviously concerns itself more with the interpersonal relationship of these two people. But at the, at the same time, I think uh, some of it is represented in the way the two figures are shown. Uh, for example, Tamil Selvan is almost a fully formed uh, ideologue by then. Uh, when he talks about his dreams, when he talks about his political dreams or rather uh, the sociological ideas that he has. I, I think some of the conversations that they have uh, definitely builds on it. But obviously one of the biggest omissions is the Periyar figure. Uh, the, the, the paper that M.S. Pandian wrote on the film, he says uh, since uh, Nazar's character is referred to as both Anna and Aya, he's more of a combined Anna plus Periyar figure not an excuse or anything, but I don't think that really um, uh, makes up for it. But I think because the film focuses on the friendship and focuses on more of electoral politics, I think Periyal is completely sidelined. Um, the uh, other part is right from the beginning, I think the film establishes that Anandan is um, more, more of a nationalist figure without any ideology. He's very populist in the sense that he talks in a very generic terms of poverty and hunger, whereas uh, Tamil Selvan has more radical ideas at that time. And I think that's one aspect of uh, MSS Martin's paper that it's called, uh, I think, uh, commodifying history um, on the film. It's yeah. transforming history into commodity. Uh, I think um, he, he, he talks about how uh, Tamil Selvan is uh, represented as um, this figure who is just ambitious uh, in uh, with respect to politics and more of a power-grabbing figure. Uh, at least I didn't see that in the way the film references. I think we'll get into that the, the whole very nonsense, poetic uh, Tamil Selvan that uh, the film really shows. Uh, but apart from that, as far as ideology is concerned, the film does talk about uh, these things. For example, it uh, changes the rail robo protest uh, to a reservation uh, protest. I think those things do- does establish uh, Tamil Selvan as the ideological figure. Whereas Anandan, like even when Pushpa dies, you have this very uh, you know throwaway sequence of when he gets down the train and a national flag is pinned on him. Um, that, that's another aspect that I'm talking about of how the film doesn't deal with dates. Uh, I mean, it's definitely around mid-40s, right? So uh, the film is just showing you the timeline of events uh, rather than pinning something on uh, Anandan or pinning something on the film itself. And I think uh, Tamil Selvan is pretty clear on his ideas, at least. And I also like how he says uh, things like... <laughs> I think those are aspects of Tamil Selvan that come through pretty well. So uh, definitely the omission of Periyar is one big problem with the film. And the very overly poetic Tamil Selvan is really a nonsensical aspect of the film. Those those two things I couldn't take after a point. Yeah. Sujitra? You know, to prepare for this, um, I kind of went back and I saw the movie first. And then I kind of realized that my first watching of the movie was a very generous watching of the movie as a very young person. Um, also, this was the first time I had actually seen the, the movie uh, with my, my parents. My growing up, um, you know, up I was always very busy with work. We never really had the culture where, you know, on weekends we would go somewhere. 
the first movie that I saw with my mom, dad, me and my sister was Iruvar. And the reason why we went and saw it was because uh, somebody had asked Appa to write about Iruvar from a political point of view uh, for Tukluk. Uh, so that's why he took us. And again, he took us because he didn't want to go see the movie alone. So watching the movie as a young person, um, I think I always had a very generous reading of the movie. But having seen the movie now to prepare for this conversation, I think the movie does great disservice to the Dravidian politics and ideology. And uh, I think you've already mentioned uh, MSS Pandian's review essay. But I also actually went back and there's also MSS Pandian mentions uh, Mani Ratnam's interview series in the Anand Vigadan in 1997, around the time the movie comes out. And what's very interesting is for me the way Mani Ratnam frames this conversation. He's very, very keen to point out that, no, 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 this is not about ideology. You know, I'm just someone who's been witness to all of this. I'm inspired by real life, but I'm really not. But what he's also doing is he's setting up an alibi for failure. He's setting up saying that, you know, the movie got so much attention. Again, the reason why I went for this movie was because somebody had asked my father to write about this movie in terms of Dravidian politics. And of course, everybody was writing about this um, movie. There was a lot of buzz around it. So he was kind of playing to the audience. The idea of any publicity is good publicity. At the same time, completely emptying out the kind of politics that Dravidian politics should for. Again, we have to understand that Dravidian politics itself is a lot more complex. While I am a huge fan of MSS Pandian and a lot of his work, I'm not a staunch DMK person. I respect what the Dravidian movement did to the politics of the state, but I also understand how it was increasingly became emptied out and vacuous. And I think that's very important to understand. And a good film could have tried to incorporate all of that. And in this case, what it really does is I don't think it really addresses the complexity of the politics. And again, as pointed out, it's not just the lack of the figure of Periyar, or again, as Mrs. Pandian in the essay says, both the figure of Periyar and Anadurai get conflated into the one figure. But that is the richness of the region politics, because Periyar and Anadurai are very different political figures. The way they handle, the way they work, their speech patterns, the way they, they thought about the world, the way they got politically radicalized. So even within the Dravidian movements, they have been very multifaceted, very contradictory, very deeply nuanced characters. And I think that emptying out of Dravidian politics is something that one has to watch. And I think that's something that this movie does. And I think Pandian's essay says that this is what Ratnam does. And he does it through his films like Roja. He does it through his films like Bombay. Ratnam was emptying the politics, as MSS Pandian argues. And I agree with that argument that MSS Pandian makes is you empty history and make it into this decorative ornament that can then be commodified and sold, right? On the other hand, Tamil Nadu's had a very contentious history with what it means to belong to India. The first secessionist movement in the country happens in Tamil Nadu. Um, <laughs> Tamil Nadu still has a secessionist movement. I think the party still exists. I know it's no longer politically relevant. Again, we think about politically relevant in terms of electoral politics. And I think that is a very important part of what it means to be uh, Tamil. What is our relationship to the Indian nation state? And I think as rightly pointed out, you're also creating two figures. The caricatured figure that Prakash Raj is made to essay uh, of Tamil Selvan as against uh, Anandan, who is seen as the more aspirational nationalist figure. So if I was someone who just saw this movie, and as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s India, who did not actually have political education about the Dravidian movement, like say my parents lived through it, my grandfather will live through the years of the independence. So for me, if I was not educating myself, and if Iruvar was the only movie that I saw, similarly, if the only movie I saw about Kashmir was Roja, if the only movie I saw about the Bombay riots was Bombay, then I would have a very skewed sense of a world. It's a very upper-caste, upper-class, Brahminical view of the world that I don't think even most average Tamilians who might not be radical, who might not be as radical as the character of Tamil Selvan might have. Uh, another thing I also want to discuss is I also looked at who the scriptwriter was. And I think the script writing is also highly problematic. It empties out everything. It empties out anger, it empties out the complexities of the Dravidian movement and kind of flattens everything out into personal rivalry. 
Yeah, I do completely agree with the fact that the film chooses to sort of display a sort of very toothless, unnuanced version of the politics in favor of representing the personal relationships that exist across the film. The fact that it ignores the entire legacy of the Justice Party, the Dravidian movement didn't come out of nowhere, right? Like the, the Justice mm-hmm. Party existed before Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And even before that, Ayodhya's Pandita existed. And like there's so much that went into that movement that is completely sort of sidelined and ignored in the way that is represented in the film. And people might say, you can't have everything. It's a two and a half hour, three hour movie. But this is why it's important because whether or not Iruvar did well at the box office, it is this piece of pop culture iconography that has survived, you know, 13, 14 years into the future. And we are still talking about it. It's still, it still gets bandied about as one of the best acted, best choreographed films uh, of that age. And so it becomes that much more important that pop culture iconography uh, preserves with some level of nuance the political and social, you know, milieu that it's trying to represent. So I think that's a very important uh, point to make. I think by the time 1997 arrives, when the movie is out, you already have the early inklings of the 24-hour news channel. Uh, you know, a liberalized India is opening up to places like Khan, you know, like places like these festivals. And you're also manufacturing Mani Ratnam as one of the greatest filmmakers of India, which I don't think he is. I think Tamil cinema has a lot of incredibly underrated good filmmakers who do not get their due. And sometimes I think even the cult of Mani Ratnam, the cult of Iruvar, the cult of Roja are all manufactured. Um, this is not taking away from the brilliant work that Santosh Sivan does. Um, there is another brilliant conversation that the Sarai program at CSDS once did about Nayagan and how Nayagan's film and lighting was set up. It's a very, very long conversation. So in that sense, I think this is not a takeaway from the incredibly talented people Mayuratnam seems to conjure up and use in terms of creating a certain visually enigmatic look. But I think even the cult of Iruvar, the cult of Maniratnam, it's all created. It's all manufactured. If today something like Iruvar came out with the kind of social media access that a lot of Dalit Bahujan and other critiques have, this movie would have been completely decimated. And I think uh, MSS Pandian says this in this thing as well, is that the audience refused to turn up for the box office, but what is a predominantly Madras-based Brahmin media continues to create. And I think that is true. And I, I'm looking at it now thinking, as I said, now watching this movie almost in the in the gap of, I, I think I've watched it in 1997 and, and I haven't watched it since, I have a less generous reading of the movie. And I think even that cult is now kind of a manufactured yeah, I specifically remember all of the the press around this movie. Uh, the vernacular press went crazy, right? Like once the cast was announced and once the topic was announced, Kumudam or Anandavigadan or it, like, you know, uh, any of the Varamalars, they would basically have morphed pictures of Aishwarya Rai in that green bulletproof West single mumu type thing that Jalalita would wear. Like those were the types of pictures that the press used to sort of promote the film. And, you know, this is not official things that are coming out from Midras Saki. It is what it is what the press used to sell their own paper. That's what would be on the cover. So even the substance of the discussion around the film when it came out was quite flat. There is one thing, though, which, you know, is a, probably a very generous reading. And I don't think the film really intended it. Is that in pitting Tamishalvam against Anandan, like in pitting someone who is in front of the screen versus someone who is behind the screen, uh, someone who made their bones in politics by being an activist and a grassroots worker and coming up through the chain versus someone who became quote-unquote an overnight success. I'm not saying it's not hard work to succeed in cinema, it is, but it is not achieved through the same grassroots level sort of political work that, you know, that like actual political work is. It's quite different. By pitting those two characters against each other, that framing itself presents itself as a critique of what, the Tamil audience has chosen to reward. That's the one thing that I took away from the film. In choosing to contrast those two characters and in choosing to have the person on screen succeed over the Tamil Selvam character, it shows that we do have sort of a culture of hero worship in Tamil Nadu that needs to be surmounted. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing I want to talk about in the sense that 
I mean, I don't know if it's generous, but it's definitely um, one way. It's a good thing, and one way it seems to be a, uh, seems to do a disservice. Uh, so the good thing is, I think it does build these two characters as one is a more uh, cerebral politician focused on ideology and rhetoric, and other is a populist and talks from his heart and all that. Uh, and he seems to reach out to the people uh, in a more direct way, and it establishes both the power of cinema and a critique of uh, cinema as uh, the propaganda and what it can do. E- even in the uh, later years, when the party breaks up, like in history, you have uh, Peter Rappan uh, writing films like Riksha Karan in the early 70s for MGR. So one, one way, I, I, I think it does uh, establish Anandan as someone who can uh, reach out to people in a way uh, that uh, Tamil Selvan is not able to. Uh, which I think the film does well, and I think it's definitely true in a sense. But at the same time, I think it does a disservice, as Sujitra pointed out, to the people. Uh, it, it seems to, you know, infantilize people in the sense that as they cannot get what uh, Tamil Selvan uh, is talking about. Um, so I think there are two aspects to it. Uh, I definitely commend the film for distinguishing these two characters of what they represented. But at the same time, uh, read another way, uh, it seems to do disservice to the to the actual populace in how they perceived uh, the ideologies from the both. Uh, but of course, MGR went on to become the chief minister. And, and he also, as MS, MS Pani himself wrote the whole book on it, uh, that was also one of the most corrupt period. Uh, and I think the film does point to it in a very vague sense. ஒருக்கெடுத்து <laughs> it doesn't go full on into it but i think what you're talking about is both a good and a bad thing in in different ways yeah it's funny that you mentioned infantilized people right and when tamil selvam is told that anandan has swept the elections what he is doing is he's teaching his daughter he's teaching his daughter avayar nalvai aldu purandalum aldu purandalum purandal maandar varuvaro nilathir மாண்டார்வரும் <laughs> and it is a critique that's there in the film i think but it is a very harsh critique because uh mgr's electoral victories right like one of them was facilitated by the central government post emergency and the other one was like sort of a huge sympathy wave so it's hard to say that there weren't sort of exigent factors that sort of uh, made sure that his success at the polls remained for his sort of entire time alive since he separated from the dmk that he was able to maintain his power there's a, there's a lot of sort of other things that helped him maintain that power so that critique might be quite uh, heavily placed uh the other thing that i thought that this film is quite obsessed with is the the dynamics of power and levels at all times through the film you can see tamil selvam's character at one level and anandan at another level and them talking to each other or they are at the same level and there is a huge crowd of people at a different level and they are talking to them this sort of establishment of levels even transcends into when it's sort of de- depicting its women characters right with revathi having this issue of whether or not to fall on his feet on the first day uh, when tabu first moves into tamishalon's house she's sitting on a staircase the film seems to be obsessed with level and power dynamics all the way through is that something that you guys saw as well uh, suchitra we'll start with you i think power dynamics is definitely there but i think in all of maniratnam's movies power is always in service of something else the power is always in service of the nation the power is always in service of uh something that is easily recognizable for me as i was looking at iruvar uh, i was also thinking about the scene in roja where arvind swami runs and you know when the indian flag is set on fire he jumps on it and and there is a similarity between how power is depicted 
starting with Roja, and I think there is a very clear path, and I think Roja also sets a certain, it's born at a time where India is liberalizing, a sense of uh, India shining, India raising, the flush of new money, disposable income is coming. And I think, so power in Maniratnam's film, starting with Roja, I think kind of becomes. And the way the camera angles work as well is, I think, very interesting part of how these characters are depicted. And for me, seeing both characters, I really felt that Tamar Selvan's character was a caricature. It feels really caricatured. And both by design and by the way the story is structured, you you are forced to empathize with Anandan a bit more. There's one scene where I think Anandan has lost the movie and he's trying to figure it out and then Tamil Chalvan is on the top. Selva! Nimirinda nadayum nerkonda parvayum yenge! Nama padan ninnu poche! Yanaka mudal hero chance kadasa padam! Ni vasana is a padam poche! Iritta muta yeti tanga! Padangal varum pogum! Even then, the way the lighting is done, but within the power dynamics, not only between the male protagonists, who again seem to kind of occupy the larger than life, even their relationship with the women in their lives, and that power dynamic also is then translated into how these characters are projected. Even in that Rail Roko protest, if you see, He's protesting, but the scene becomes about him seeing Tabu for the first time, right? Uh, even with his wife, he's saying all of these very progressive stuff, but she's not sure what to do. She's very uncomfortable. Even, you know, when the fire incident happens, you know, he's again caricatured. Like who recites poetry in the middle of that? Again, the point is you're caricaturing what you think an intense um, poetry-loving ground activist who then goes on to acquire powers. Similarly, even the power relationship between Anandan and the women in his life, even though they are just as regressive, are all about the ways in which they are projected. You know, Anandan is, again, he is, the way he encounters his wife, the way he is seen as a savior, which was his second wife. Um, again, Daishwari Roy character coming back as a step in for what Jalata could have been. Anandan is also a caricature. I think Anandan is also like a Trump-like figure, but, you know, a generous reading. You know, I speak from the heart. I do not know what anything else means, but an end of the film, you're forced to empathize with Anandan, no? On the other hand, you don't really walk away empathizing with the Tamil Selvan character. There's this one scene where, you know, remember he becomes a Tamil Nadu chief minister, he's sitting on the chair and he's touching the chair as if, you know, it's also desire, right? Because desire is also throughout the movie. Uh, the sexualized desire of both of these men is around the movie. But the way uh, Tamil Selvan is touching the armchair as he becomes a chief minister is also very sexualized. Uh, so I think, yeah, power does play um, very different roles in the way the movie is framed. Yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned the second Aishwarya Rai character, Kalpana. Kalpana is probably the only character who exercises some level of control over the man, right? She has it for a few scenes and then she quickly loses it. So she, when she's this playful young character who's clearly more educated than Anandan, who's not afraid of him, who can sit on the hood of his jeep while he's driving and can threaten to jump off and then actually jump off. And then quickly she also falls into line. Uh, also, he, uh, Mani Ratna pulls a Gautam Menon by also killing the only woman who might have exercised any agency in the film. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, think about it, right? Like, yes, she has all of this agency, but it also goes back to the, the vamp and the, the good girl, right? So the Pushpa's character is this very beautiful, docile, doe-eyed. Uh, again, the color costumes that she's using, there's a lot of yellow and... On the other hand, you know, the more boisterous, uh, you know, exciting, the vamp, you know, the, the, the good girl and the vamp, which was pretty much the, also how women were being depicted. 
this she's also the vamp right like in the sense that she's not vamp vamp but then she's also the girl who is you know she's a little bit more adventurous you can see that she's sexually adventurous or could be possibly be i i don't remember there uh, i was told that there was supposed to be a very intimate scene between um, aishwarya roy and mohan lal re shot but i've heard different versions that the scene was later cut or that it was never shot for various reasons yeah you pull a gautam menon and you kill the only woman who has any agency in the film i think that's where the fade to blacks or the random fade to blacks or fade to whites happen right like when she jumps off of the the jeep and yeah uh, mm. so it, it, it's possible that maybe there could have been other shots that that they were forced to censor because you know whatever we say everybody knows whom they're making the film about and the the shadows of these figures loom large over you know official bodies like the censor board <laughs> so the important thing for me is that it's Tirumala Nayakar Mahal right where they keep showing that yeah, yeah the whole it's Tirumala Nayakar yeah 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 the film chooses to end in Tirumala Nayakar Mahal with sort of the echoes and stuff i thought there was a very strange ending to the film you don't get any sort of closure and i and i say this because they choose to end it when anandan dies and you know it's like the dark knight quote you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain and so tamil cinema inadvertently becomes sort of the antagonist in some senses because of that framing is that the way you guys saw it as well or i didn't particularly like the the way that it ended it seemed very i don't know it seemed to be aiming for a high concept ending but it didn't seem to get there no uh, i think the high concept is really uh, i mean everything they tried with poetry uh, the quote and quote uh, high concept that you're talking about but the poetry doesn't really work right in most of the pieces like it like it works like in the scene that you said when poetry is not written by the people of the film that <laughs> that really works right so uh, so clearly when they try poetry i don't think it works in fact that the ending uh, feeds more in, into the sympathy that for anandan that suchitra mentioned uh, more than anything else uh, because they do focus on some of the aspects like mgr's uh, corruption i do think that uh, the film does show the more overreaching ambitions of anandan but it doesn't really go as far as you know creating the effect i also liked the part where in the prison when tamil selvan is released the, the wardens are the ones who respect him and that sort of shows the kind of respect that people had for him that you really don't see in many other uh, scenes that could have you know um, established uh, tamil selvan as as the karnanidhi figure that he was and not what is shown in river um, but the ending uh, yeah i don't think it, it works at all it i think it only feeds more into the sympathy for anandan uh, that sujitra mentioned i just think maniratnam copped out i think maniratnam movie endings are always terrible i think this is something that i was talking with someone else the other day is that even those little moments that are salvageable in maniratnam films he always messes up his ending and i i think it does two things right one i think it shows your flaw as a storyteller your flaw as how to bring a book to an ending and i say this as someone who struggled with a manuscript for 8 years it's not easy and i think that's where the skill of writing screenplay the story the intellectual imagination the political imagination of a script comes in and i think one is just really bad i think the way the scenes were set up the way the story is set up i think there's a structural flaw in the way the film is playing out so i think no matter what he had done i think it was just going to be terrible second i think it's also a cop out in the sense that anything else could have become too political you ended at the moment of death you know this could have become a very political film a film that could have held these two very complicated figures deeply shaded by propaganda mass hysteria but also you know public love and public hate because you have to understand that both mgr and karnanidhi went through moments of great love and great hate so i think the film also kind of cops out it, it doesn't take the stand and finally i just think mayratnam has bad endings i don't think even alaipa's <laughs> ending was so terrible i just think mayratnam can't end movies now i'm trying to think of a mayratnam movie ending that i liked uh, maybe you know, i tell you agnida chitram even the last you know the fight scene with all of that it, it feels like you're on i don't know you've taken a molly and your head is just spinning 
And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, what I, I, I mean, it is, it is straight out of the Godfather. It is straight out of the Godfather. Yeah, it's like, so, you know, so yeah, if you find a single Mayuratnam movie ending that you like, then I, I really want to understand. I really want to understand what about that ending you like. So, but it's also a challenge to a lot of your listeners. Like, is there a Mayuratnam movie ending that people actually like? Hey, uh, listeners, uh, open-ended question for you. I think this is the first time we've ever done this. A call to listeners on the pod. Uh, tweet us at the other banana with any money that the movie endings that you like. <laughs> Adi, did you have any movie ending that you like? Uh, no, now that you asked me, I, I can't think of anything. Like, like I, I do go back to like three nineties. Maybe you, you can pick out Agnishatam because for the kind of film it is, uh, you know, the full-on mainstream masala film. But otherwise, I really don't think there is the ending that. Um, I mean, you are okay with some of the endings, but is it a, any great ending? Yeah, I don't think so. Like, um, yeah, no. like, maybe either. Yeah. It's it's incredibly naive, but I guess either. Yeah, yeah. At least it's ends the way naive. it's supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about a technician who is uh, a few technicians who are uh, good. Uh, the art direction is uniformly great, as is the cinematography by Sampraschan. At least I thought so. Any comments uh, on those? Adi, I know you had you had mentioned in your notes that you re- enjoyed the camera. Uh, camera work. Uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy the camera work, and I, I think um, it feeds into uh, how free flowing the film is with the events. Like, it's not a plot level film, and I don't think anybody could could make a plot level film with this one. So, in the in the way it is uh, structured, and in the way you get only events and you get only moments, I think the way the camera just flows through every scene and flows from one scene to another. I think formally, I think it it really helps the film in a big way. This probably is Santosh Sivan's uh, best work, uh, definitely with Manjuratnam. Yeah, I, th- I think the camera work, especially the scene where they recreate the Emma sequence or uh, the scene where um, uh, Velutambi walks uh, to uh, Tamil Selvan's house, even even the way the, the films within the film uh, are shown, I, I, th- I think you have the usual Manjuratnam uh, preoccupation with Kurosawa and you know recreating something like that and which, which kind of helps the mythological roles that MGR did. So I think those are really good ideas in the film, yeah. I, I do particularly enjoy that that shot of where Anandan gets shot in the neck with a gun. And then the attention to detail, of course, that Lal changes his voice, Adi, like you mentioned. That transition from Karneka Tikkolade, I think, that's a, it's a song number and it, it quickly ends in Anandan getting shot. The, the economy of that is was probably one of the more enjoyable parts of the film for me. And that is the song directly refers to Rikshakaran, Karan, which was written by Virapan, and I think which was after NGR went alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that was specifically the the propaganda film, right? That that. For me, the more enjoyable parts of the film are the music and the way it's choreographed. And I think I know people usually say that it's Tal, where you know, like Aishwarya I looks so stunning, or you know, but I think it's Iruvar oh, no. in which hello <laughs> nothing is gone sorry <laughs> no no what happened oh, surprise surprise with Tal <laughs> no no I, I, there's actually there's actually I'm not kidding I remember I remember this was sometime in 2005 uh, a very annoying Bombay boy sat me down and told me how Tal is like the greatest you know cinematography ever I was like dude have you seen Tamil cinema like have you seen Santosh Sivan have you seen Rajiv Menon's work so the Tal thing was that there is a very general North of Bombay, belief that Tal was a movie in which Aishwarya Rai was shot and um, depicted in a very specific way where, you know, she is kind of immortalized on the screen. But for me, I think the movie that really immortalizes Aishwarya Rai as this epic beauty of that moment and time for me is Iruvar. And I think the Iruvar song sequences, I think there is something about it. Again, now when I saw it, I'm, I'm less generous, but as, as a young person seeing Aishwarya Rai on the big screen, and again, the colors, I think the way the colors work, I think that's remarkable. Uh, and Santosh Sivan did a photography series many years ago. This was online 15 years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. I tried looking for it. He traveled through the tribal heartlands of India, I think, and it was called the Journey of Light or something, something like that. And just photographs that he's taken. Um, that site doesn't exist anymore. And you could see those photographs as the way he is kind of training his lens and how he looks at the world uh, because a photograph is a much more interesting way to look at how a cinematographer or someone who's a DOP looks at images. So I think that's also quite interesting, but definitely the, the music part of it is, is, is pretty, pretty amazing. So I, I actually didn't like the jazzy numbers. 
because I don't think like jazz in any real way was used in the sort of like politically charged films. The first time you we really really hear sort of the jazzy numbers are like with Kadali Kaneer Milai or something like that. So I, I didn't really identify with the jazz numbers. They're great as standalone numbers. But mm-hmm. as period pieces, I, I didn't really enjoy mm-hmm. those. Yeah. I, I, uh, I actually, but, but the choreography is fantastic. Sorry. Yeah. I actually don't think the the way Aishwarya is depicted and the way her films are depicted, I, I don't think it keeps in with the time at all. It's almost like from a different time. Even the... Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, what she wears and whatever, I mean, it, it's the film or an audition tape or, or the, film, the song is supposed to be. Um, I, I don't think it, it is actually keeping uh, with the times at all. It's, it's probably a decision for the better, right? I mean, I don't know if I could have shown uh, Aishwarya was making her debut at the time uh, as, as the actual uh, Jelza figure or even the any of the uh, actors of, of that time. And that leads to the other thing about Mayurism, apart from, you know, his visuals and his use of music. And I think he knows how to use limited performers very well. Uh, we, we often talk about him you know, taking, at least in the latter part of his career, employing a lot of uh, uh, actors who are probably not up to the mark. But I think when, when there is a, someone like Ashwari Rai with her screen presence and with her, you know, uh, sort of attention-grabbing uh, performance, dance, and uh, I, I think those things Manitam does very well. And I think Manitam and uh, Sanjay Leela Bansali are probably the two people who actually, where you can actually, you know, enjoy your Ashwari performance because it's not it's not the very actorly performance that we usually go for. Uh, but but I think these two directors know how to uh, mold her on on screen and how to use what she has um, in in terms of screen presence. I I think that's what he tried to do here, and I think that's a good decision not to you know show uh, an actor who's exactly like James or or exactly keeping in with the times and just go with it. It's as if like she's completely from a different universe. No, that that takes a lot of sense. I actually, like you don't want Aishwarya Rai and then have her sing some equivalent of Orunaliaro from Major Tantrakan, right? Like in a, in a yellow sari and like, so it, it makes a lot of sense because you have, and it's her debut film, right? So you need to help her make a splash and stuff. And so you need the that, that aesthetic. So it makes a lot of sense. The reason it is uh, so stark for me is that, or it didn't work for me, is that it's a transition, right? From Pukodi in Punagai, which very clearly is inspired by the melody aesthetic of that period. To cut to that, it felt like you're almost disregarding everything that came before in terms of the choreography and the dance and stuff. Personally, I also think like Pukurim Punagai is sort of my favorite song from the film. Keeping with annoying Bombay boys who tell you that Tal was Aishwarya's uh, best performance. There's the annoying people who tell me that Iruvar is Mohanlal's best performance. And I'm like, uh, have you seen Kiridam or like any of the other million Malayalam films that Mohanlal has done where he's better? I mean, he's great. Don't don't get me wrong. Mohanlal is great. but it's a testament to the how good of an actor he is that I wouldn't rank Giruvar in his top five performances. It would probably make the top ten, but I wouldn't rank it in the top five. Uh, as an erstwhile uh, Lal fan, I wanted to record that on the pod as well. All right. Uh, I think we are nearing the end of the conversation. Uh, I want to sort of register any big personal memories of the film, any things that remain from the film, uh, any final thoughts? After all the hit on Bombay guys uh, I have to say that when the film released I was in Bombay so I have no memory of watching the film in theatre or actually uh, experiencing the frenzy uh, that was happening in Tamil Nadu uh, so I watched the film much later so I actually don't have a memory of that period like I I was already famous like she was famous even before just before uh, Miss World but after that she, she just shot up to fame but apart from the songs the film itself I watched much later yeah um, no I think for me Iruvar was Again, as I said, um, when I say the story, people look at me as if I had a terrible childhood. I didn't. I actually had a very fun childhood. But for me, the first movie I saw with my entire family was Iruvar. And again, as I said, um, I, we went there because my dad wanted to <clears throat> write about the film. For me, what was interesting was not so much the film, but the fact that somebody could write about a film in a very political way. The ask of my father was to write about the politics of the film after this call, I'm going to call my dad and see if he actually has a copy of that Tukalak magazine from 1997 and see actually hear from him what he wrote. He wrote it soon after it came. By then, you know, Sun TV was already there. We also used to have this thing where, you remember when Sun TV, you could call Sun TV and ask them to play a song. Do you remember? There was this very Pepsi famous... Choice. Yeah, Pepsi Ungal Choice. Pepsi Ungal Choice, yes, yes, yeah. yes. 
um, Uma, so, yeah. yeah, Pepsi Uma, yes, 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 Pepsi Uma, the first big, you know, um, so from that, for a young person, the idea that, that somebody could ask you to write about a film for us politics was like a very, I, I might sound very stupid and naive, but it was like a, a very aha moment for me as a young person. That, okay, you can actually write about films in a way that is not just, what is this woman wearing? Was there a punch dialogue? And what else? I think, um, I think also it's encountering Rahman's music because in this odd time where, uh, Ele Raja kind of was beginning to no longer be the big name, but there's this emergence of Ela Rahman's music, a very new kind of sound. Now in retrospect, you realize it's also the beginning of a certain kind of technology and the rhythm and the, the sound of that music. Those are the things that I really remember about the movie. And it also, as I said, when I went back and watched the movie, it just reiterates my fact that I think uh, My Ratnam is a very overrated filmmaker. And when you overrate a filmmaker, I think it's not just about their career. I think it also takes a light away from some very good work. And I think hopefully as a part of this podcast, you guys will excavate some very good filmmakers, writers and thinkers of Tamil cinema that um, others might not know or haven't appreciated as much. You can appreciate that uh, 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 the first Marit film we've done is our one or, one or third episode. So, <laughs> Sorry, what's the first Marit film we did? No, no, I'm saying this is the first Marit film. It's 103rd ah, episode. It's our 103rd so episode. We've not, episode. Uh, <laughs> we've not yeah. contributed to the Marit film. Hysteria? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've assiduously stayed away from Maniratnam over the past talk. And intuitively, you got the biggest Maniratnam hate girl in the world to come join you in the past. Year. Look, <laughs> this, this, yeah, good, good, good call, good call. Uh, so, you, since you mentioned politics, I'm going to age myself again. I was in my final year of high school when uh, it was released. And uh, speaking of using film for politics, the way head boy elections or what we would call school pupil leader elections would happen is that you'd have a week long of campaigning, which is basically just kids screaming their throat out in the quadrangle in front of school. And then uh, you would have speeches on a Friday and then on a Monday morning, you'd have the election. Uh, the the boy who won the elections in my school that year, it would play a very handy part in that. Uh, I do remember the candidates don't remember any substance of any of the speeches, obviously. because. Uh, but one thing I do remember very vividly is what happened before the last speaker who was running for student people leader elections, the last speaker on the speech day is the person who won. And this is what happened. So the way they orchestrated it is they called out his name. So the, the teachers would call out the name and then the person would come up on stage, stage and deliver their speech. And most people, the way they did it, they would just be standing backstage and they would just come out and they would come out and deliver their speech. The eventual winner, what he did is he sat in the back of the crowd. Everybody assembled in the quadrangle. You know, they, you sit in sort of rows and columns and he sat at the very back. And it was so orchestrated that his sort of, you know, group of friends who were campaigning for him sat all the way through the middle of the quadrangle. And when they called out his name, the opening refrain of Ayuratil Nanuruvan, the song from Mirwar played. And the crowd, somehow they managed this. It, it was like the, the Red Sea parting. They all moved a little bit and the, this sort of pathway opened up through the center of the crowd. And he walked all the way from the back to the front of the stage while the opening refrains and the Pallavi of uh, Ayuratilna Noruvan played. And I mean, at that point, everybody knew he'd won the election. Like it's over, right? Like there's no way any of the other candidates are recovering from that. So uh, that goes to show that, uh, you know, after many years, no one will remember the substance of your speeches, but, you know, spectacle is what everybody will remember. Such a tough homework is to get to school. See, uh, I, I just want to know what this guy is doing right now. <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, I want to say a huge thank you, Adi, uh, for joining us as always. And Sajitra, a big thanks for making time to connect with us. This has been super fun uh, discussing and dissing Irvas and Manirasta. Yeah, if you want to diss uh, Gautam Menon and his, the death of his women and his characters, um, please invite me back. Uh, another person that we've assiduously stayed away from, right, Adi? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's how, how the, yeah, we haven't done a Gautam Menon film, uh, but yeah. No, 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 we can, we can just do a series on the women who die, and then it can be the... <laughs> yeah, start from Kaka Kaka and yeah, go all And then for the fans, we can say how Nolan and Gautam Menon do the same in this yeah. Oh, Jesus, no, 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 okay, okay. All right. Thanks, uh, this was lots of fun, thank you. Thank you.
thanks to our listeners. Uh, please do send us if there's ever a money return film ending that you like. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and this is Deepak signing off. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey folks, hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode. Don't forget to go check out movie.com/slash/theotherbanana. That's m-u-b-i.com/slash/theotherbanana for a whole year of great cinema at an exclusive price. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Other Banana on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the other platforms where you listen to podcasts. Please do leave us a review and a rating, as it helps us drive visibility for our work. You can also view the team's writing or provide us feedback on our content at tobpod.com. We look forward to hearing from our listeners soon. Thank you.